Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with former NFL head coach Norv Turner. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. Today on the program, we welcome former NFL head coach of the Redskins, Raiders, and Chargers. He's won two Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys under Jimmy Johnson. And most importantly, he's a fellow Trojan. Ladies and gentlemen, Norv Turner. Norv, thanks for coming on the program. Hey, Brett. It's uh, nice to be with you. I'm I'm kind of a transplanted Trojan. I coached there nine years uh, I went to Oregon, all my Oregon. No, no yeah, I know, but I, I'm so counting you as a... I got to clarify that for him, but, but that's good. I, I take a lot of pride in my nine years of being at USC. Yeah, and, and I guess I shouldn't... I, I just think in, with the coaching resume, you kind of qualify as a Trojan. I know you came no. up, you were quarterbacking with, with Oregon uh, back in your college days, but but then once you got your career going, uh, you were a Trojan. So, yeah, it's kind of a little bit uh, of a play on words, but I'm going to count you as a Trojan. Well, I appreciate it. Norv, right out of the gate, who's the most interesting person you've ever worked with in the NFL? Your career spans four decades, about 40 years in this game. It's, uh, you know, you, you end up being with so many – different characters uh just in terms of interesting i mean there's just there's just so many guys that uh i would think of uh you know i i mean i i was with philip rivers you know is here in in san diego the head coach and he's uh he's a unique very very unique person i mean he's a he's a great person and and uh one of the hardest working guys i've been around and you know he's got those southern roots and that background so he's he's got his own personality he could relate to everybody so he jumps to my to mind uh and and uh, another light uh you know the we made a big trade in dallas for charles haley and he was uh every day was a new day and a surprise with him and he was uh he was a unique guy to be around uh, uh great he was great teammate but he was a different guy yeah you mentioned philip rivers and and living in san diego uh i you know i do some charity events around around town over the last you know six or seven years and and i've i've met philip on a on a couple of occasions yeah he's definitely a different guy seems like a really good guy uh from afar watching him on on the field uh, seems pretty intense, but it's interesting because going over this, when I was getting ready, doing my homework for for Norv Turner, uh, some of the names that, that I was going through going, wow, Norv's been with a lot of interesting guys. And I just read out of the gate, I want to say, who comes to his mind first? <clears throat> you were, uh, you're born in Lejeune, North Carolina. I hope I said that right. And I just, I kind of want to hear about, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I, I wanted to make sure I pronounced it right. North Carolina. Yeah. I just want to talk about a young Norv Turner. What it was like? What was your childhood like growing up? Well, it was uh, it was pretty unique, to be honest with you. You know, we 
my father was was a Marine and and uh, joined the Marines when he was 17 and uh, fought in the South Pacific and uh, had a you know had a tough time and he actually uh, left my mom when I was two years old and and I I never met him and uh, he passed away when I was about 12 and my mom raised five children by herself. Um, oldest when i was when i was two my oldest brother was seven and and my youngest was six months old and my mom raised us by herself with uh as they say now with the help of a village you gotta have that uh but we grew up in uh martinez california and you know we were just at the boys and girls club event uh the fundraiser and you know i think i think uh kids of my era and the kids that I was around and then the kids I grew up with, we lived in a, in a public housing, a county housing type deal. Uh, without Boy Scouts, uh, Boys Club, Girl Club of America, uh, Little League, Pony League, all the different things, Pop Warner, uh, I don't know how we would have survived. And, uh, you know, we had a, I, I look back and had a great childhood and, uh, you know, had a, a great high school career playing sports and academics and everything, and, and was fortunate enough to get a get a scholarship to go to Oregon, and that's that's really where I met a lot of the people that were extremely influent, influential in my career and my life. Yeah, you mentioned the Boys and Girls Club, and it, and it keeps coming up. It seems like guys that that come on the on the podcast, which a lot of people have a lot of. Uh, if it's not a tie with the Boys and Girls Club and, and they're doing and they're helping out in, in any way they can uh, to be a part, whether it's the charity or whether it's, it was a part of their life growing up. We had Andre Reed on, who, who's really uh, pretty heavily involved. In, and it just seems like uh, they do a lot of good for a lot of people. So you bringing that up and, and it, it's been a part of your life. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great thing. And I'm hearing that more and more, the more the more guests I have on the show. You mentioned Martinez, California, where you grew up. Joe DiMaggio was born there. I, I think that's what that city's famous for. But uh, he, uh, it's it's many things, and I actually um, there there were two DiMaggio. I think they were uh, second nephews or cousins or his his uh, brothers. Uh, I don't know what the connection is, but Vince DiMaggio and Sal DiMaggio went to high school with us. One of them actually played baseball, was a very, very good baseball player. And uh, they take a lot of pride in, in the fact that Joe DiMaggio lived in Martinez. And and uh, you read his biography, they always say San Francisco, but it was Martinez. And they still tell stories about Joe DiMaggio brand Marilyn Monroe to Martinez one time. Wow. So he went to high school there. Always football. What were the other sports you played? Was there any? Was there any hoops? Was there some baseball in your background? I played basketball. I love basketball. You know, I it's uh, it's. I, I think for a long time it was I, I was my favorite sport because you could, you know, you go get three on three and get two guy get three other guys and go play two on two all afternoon and go shoot and hang out and uh we had a lot of fun i played i played baseball but you know it was it was probably then it was starting 
in, in fact, our football program, they did where you start having the off season lifting and all that. And, and, uh, the coaches encouraged me to, to get involved in the program playing quarterback. They, you know, sold me hard. I had a future and, and they were right. And I had a, a, like I said, a good high school career playing quarterback and, and playing safety. Uh, so I gave baseball up, but I missed it. I was, a I I was a, decent pitcher as a young young player and and uh you know it's 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 a great game and and uh all my buddies played so we we became fans instead of players mentioned you went to the university of oregon um how'd you get there were there any were there any other colleges you were considering and and how'd you land on uh the university of oregon it's yeah, it's a it's a kind of interesting story because it was the Pac-8 back then. Uh, freshmen couldn't weren't eligible, so you know you had to you had to wherever you went, you knew you had to sit wait a year. And uh, I was recruited by all the Northwest schools, and I was recruited by UCLA and Cal. And Oregon, uh, my high school coach had played there, and that probably influenced me some. But it just seemed a good fit, and and this is where you know, I talked about meeting people that, that influence your life years later. But uh, George Seifer, the 49er coach, was the the coach who was assigned to recruit me, and and then the quarterback coach at the time was John Robinson, uh, who we all know John Robinson and the USC and the Rams and his great coaching career, and uh, on that staff. Uh, there were uh, Gunther Cunningham, who became a head coach, Bruce Snyder, who was a head coach at Cal and Arizona State, uh, John Marshall, who was a really successful defensive coordinator um, in the NFL. So it was uh, it was a very very talented staff. And then uh, you know I went there uh, not knowing uh, as much about it as I probably should have. But the year in front of me was Dan Fouts. So. Uh, I had to wait a long time before I got an opportunity to play, but uh, it was we became great friends, and uh, it was great to to follow his career and and watch all the things he accomplished in the NFL. You mentioned it was the Pac-8. It, it has changed over the years, and and uh, you know I talked to my dad. He he ended up going to Stanford. Um, I think he's he's a few years older than you, so but he he, he had mentioned that to me. He went there on a baseball. Uh, basketball scholarship, and, and you mentioned hoops. And the funny story my dad tells is he got a dual scholarship. He, it was you know fifty fifty. So he said he went in and and he was on the freshman uh, basketball team. And he said, Brett, after about a week, he said I realized that these guys are way better than me. He said he quit basketball and he went full time baseball. But you're right, he was on a freshman baseball team. Obviously, football doesn't probably doesn't have the I don't know if they had the research. You can't have a freshman football team. Uh, but the baseball, I think they had a freshman baseball team where dad played. And like you said, it was only the Pac-8. When I played at SC, baseball-wise, we only played a Pac-6. So it was A-State, U of A, Cal, Stanford, and us in UCLA. And now they branched out. Now they now they go to Oregon and Oregon State, uh, where back when I was playing, it was, it was basically, you know, it was six teams and that was it. Yeah. 
All right, so you get there. Dan Fouts, the great uh, Charger quarterback. I remember, you know, as a kid, it was Jefferson and Joyner, and and Dan Fouts was was the uh, the guy that made it all run. That's interesting. He's the starter. You get you're you're his backup for your first couple of years. You, you finally get uh, the starting position in seventy three, seventy four. Um, how were your college years, football wise, and and in your mind? Were you always, I want to take football as far as I, as I can, or, or were you thinking, no, I might be on the other side, the, the executive side of football. When did that come into your mind? When did, when did those formulate for you, those thoughts? Well, I loved, I loved the game, and I was fortunate. I go back, you know, my high school coach was really coached the mental part of it, and uh, it was, so you, 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 I got into the, strategy of the game and then uh, as I said getting there and and Jerry Fry was head coach and with John Robinson I mean we were we were advanced and and uh, my the before I started playing we were pretty good with Fouts and Ahmad Rashad he was Bobby Moore back then but we had a we had a talented group of guys and and were very good on offense and uh struggled on defense and lost close games and they ended up firing Jerry Fry. And then we went through uh, my next three years after they fired coach Fry that we went through two head coaches in three years. And it was, uh, there was a lot of change and it was, uh, it was a, it was a tough time for the football team. And it was tough on us as players because it was, there was no consistency in what we did and, and we struggled, but, uh, I didn't lose my love for the game, and I, I think going through the the tough those couple tough years helped me a lot. Understanding that you know it's 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 sports. It's not always going to be uh, a championship. It's not always going to be good. There's some tough times, and you you know you've got to fight through it. And uh, uh, I had a couple knee injuries, knee surgeries back then before they really could do the things they can do now. So it was, uh, if I was going to stay in sports or stay in football, it was going to be coaching. And I, I stayed at Oregon for a year and, and coached as a graduate assistant. And then when John Robinson got the USC job, I, I followed him to USC and, and worked there as a graduate assistant before getting, getting hired full time. Yeah. And you mentioned John Robinson a few times. You, you've got a, yeah. A pr- pretty unique relationship with him. It spent a lot of years coaching under John Robinson, and uh, you get to you get to USC nineteen the years nineteen seventy six, uh, and what a team you guys had. You know, once again doing my homework, uh, getting ready for for <laughs> Norv Turner. I was looking at those teams and seventy seven Rose Bowl winner, seventy eight national champion, seventy nine you win the Rose Bowl again, eighty another Rose Bowl championship. Uh, how was that? The early years, you're getting your second career started, you know, from player to coach. It, it, uh, take yeah, me through it. It was, it was incredible. And, and, you know, I, uh, you get this far removed and, and when you start talking about those teams and, you know, we, we won a national championship in 78, should have in 79, we had a, a tie along the way and ended up second in the country. Um, you know, won 11 games. Uh, they didn't have a playoff system back then. Uh, but I, when I go, when I think back uh, to those times, uh, you know, the the wins don't mean as much really as the people. And 
And, uh, you know, you and I have talked about some of these guys and, and their friends of yours, but, the, you know, Ronnie Lott was there. Uh, Anthony Munoz was there. Uh, you know, the running backs, uh, Ricky Bell, uh, Marcus Allen, Charlie White. Uh, you just learn so much about football being around players like that. And, and then, you know, you talked about John Robinson. He, he's had such an effect. Uh, there's three or four guys I would look and say, that's where my football um, background, my, my football foundation come from, and he would be at the top of the list. I mean, uh, a chance to learn how to coach, uh, to deal with people, to communicate, all the things that are involved. Uh, you know, it obviously started for me with, with Coach Robinson. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, uh, those of you listening to the Boom Podcast, Norv and I uh, just met one another recently. We did a charity golf event, and, and we got to catching up a little bit about some of the players we were mentioning. And I told him, I said, yeah, Rodney Pete was my third baseman. And and uh, I, I told you my brief story, Rodney Pete. I get there as a freshman. You know, I went to USC in, in 1988 through 1990. And uh, as a freshman on that USC campus, as you know, coach, it's uh, it's all football. Hmm. You know, baseball, it's like, oh, you're here to play baseball. Well, that's pretty good. But we, we here at SC, we don't care about much except for that Coliseum on a Saturday afternoon. And I remember as a freshman baseball player thinking, you know, going to that Coliseum. And, and we were good. When I was there, they, they won a Rose Bowl. Uh, I think Rodney Pete, that my freshman year was, was – uh, the Pac-10 player of the year. And I'd go to those games on Saturday, you know, with all my, with all my baseball buddies and we'd be watching it. And, and, you know, on that campus, when you're winning, SC football is winning, you're the quarterback. You're like uh, a pretty big time celebrity walking through campus. And I remember thinking, wow, Rodney Pete's going to be my third baseman. And, you know, we had Rodney on the program a few weeks ago, and, and I said, it turns out, Rodney, it wasn't that big of a deal. And, and he laughed about that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that SC, there's something about it. It's, it's a pretty special place. I, I remember going there and, and my parents dropping me off because it's not, you know, it's not in the greatest part of town. It's it's changed a lot since since our since Norv your time there and my time there. It's definitely been upgraded, but it's not in the greatest part of town. And I remember mom and dad dropping me off at my my dorm, and I just kind of looked around like, "What am I going to do now?" You know, uh, I'm on my own. And a couple of weeks later, you kind of get into the rhythm of it. And you start going to the football games. A lot of fun. Uh, I have a brother that followed me to USC, and and my daughter went to USC. So we definitely have it in our blood. More so, my brother than me. And and Norv, I was yeah. telling you, Aaron, Aaron, to this day, you know, it, it's Saturday and it's it's game day. He'll put his jersey on, jump in his car, you know, to go to the go to the market to get whatever they're going to have for for a uh, for lunch that day, and he's got the fight song playing, windows down. And if I'm if I'm with him, I'm I'm kind of I'm like you're embarrassing the family. He's like, no, you got you got you got to be. Hey, you're they, a Trojan. Let's those, go have some pride. Fingers up, th- fingers up in the air. I I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Rod, interesting. Rodney, uh, you know, I recruited Rodney and and got to be very very close. Uh, I had known his dad a long time and. And got to be very close with his family. And then he came and and played for his one year in Washington, or two years, I guess, in Washington. And, and 1999 was the backup to Brad Johnson. Uh, and uh, 
we renewed our our relationship, our friendship back there, and he's he's one of the special people you ever been around. Yeah, Rodney, really good guy, and I think you were there. I think you were saying you remember you remember Tiger, right? Rod Dato, he was the baseball coach, and uh, I think. I think Mark McGuire was there during your tenure. And I think the big unit, Randy Johnson, who later became a teammate of mine, uh, he was a piece of work. Good guy, but a piece of work. And and now probably going to go down in history as one of the one of the best pitchers to ever do it. Ever. And, and uh, you know, I was back watching, you know, my son's the offensive coordinator for the Washington football team. And Jack Del Rio is the defensive coordinator who was a, a great – he was MVP in the Rose Bowl in 1984, the, the last game I coached there. And we were talking, and I said, Jack, now I, I get this – get my memory working. I, you know, uh, you were a catcher with baseball because he was – I know he's a great uh, high school baseball player. He was, yeah. And he says it was – Randy Johnson and, and McGuire, and, and he started naming the guys your name. And, and, and I told him, well, we used to go out uh, after spring practice. We'd go in and grade the film and then go out and uh, watch the Trojans play. They'd play those night games, and it was awesome to watch them. Uh, watch them hit home runs up into that bright field parking lot where the stadium was. Yeah, and I think McGuire at the time, I don't know if it's still a record, but he set the all-time home run record at USC. And then, you know, the rest of his career is kind of, you know, it's kind of history. But uh, you're moving on. You move on from SC, uh, not out of L.A., actually. But you're reunited with John Robinson, and and it's your first uh, first NFL experience. It's 1985. You've you were the offensive coordinator for the Rams from 85 to 90. And I want to know, what is the biggest difference for Norv Turner going from the college game to NFL? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, well, when you leave USC, uh, you're not, the, the talent difference is not that big, particularly back then. You know, I talked about all those offensive linemen, uh, but, uh, I just think the maturity, you know, I went in my first, you know, I'm coaching the tight ends and my first job there and, and David Hill and Mike Barber were the tight ends. And I was 32 years old and they're both 36 and 37 years old. They're older than me. And, and you, you sit down and start coaching them. I tell people the first preseason game, I came in at halftime and David Hill was smoking a cigarette at halftime. I'm going, yeah, this is different than coaching in college. Uh, but I think the, the, the thing that uh, they have in common and the thing I always appreciate about coaching in the NFL, if, if guys knew you could help them get better and guys knew you knew what you were doing, uh, they, they listened and they worked. And the best players uh, are still the guys that ha- had the best uh, practice habits, the best meeting habits, uh, the best communicators, uh, you know, it's it's still a, a just, I'm sure, just like you in baseball, it's a, it's a team sport, and that communication and everyone being on the same page, uh, it, it's a difference maker. And and we were we were fortunate; we had good teams, and and uh, you know, Coach Robinson had a great career with the the Rams, and we went to two championship games uh, in a seven year period, or for me, a six year period, but. 
unfortunately, we played the Bears in Chicago, the 85 Bears, probably the best defense ever, and and uh, they beat us pretty good. And, and then we played Montana and the 49ers uh, in the 89 championship game. So those were, those were tough games, but to get to the championship game uh, in that era was, was uh, quite an accomplishment. So uh, the thing about being at the Rams, and, and again, I, I've already mentioned John Robinson, but there were guys on that staff, uh, Ernie Zampese, uh, came up to, to, to from San Diego, and he was the, you know, behind the Air Coriel. He was the offensive coordinator. So we, that's where I kind of learned that that system. And then uh, the defensive coordinator and I spent a lot of time together. Fritz Shermer was a great coach and went on to be the defensive coordinator in Green Bay. And and when the, when Holmgren won the Super Bowl, uh, so the opportunity to be around those guys, along with learning the pro game and being with those, uh, being with the players and, and learning how that all worked, uh, being with those coaches was, was really instrumental in my career. And, and the baseball, <clears throat> excuse me, the baseball dynamic is, is so different in so many ways because, you know, when you're at a big time college, like it, like a USC, uh, there is, that's your training ground. You know, that's your minor leagues. Uh, and we go from a from a prestigious university like USC. We get drafted, and we go to to some some uh, whole bunk town, and and who know, God knows where in a ball, and and we're starting all over. I remember my my first day. I leave SC. I, I signed with the Seattle Mariners, and uh, we go to Peninsula, Virginia. It's old War Memorial Stadium. I pull up. The cab pulls up to to where I'm going to play my first professional season. And I look around and I'm kind of going, whoa, this is an old stadium. You know, it was probably built in the 20s. And I went out and I played my first game and, and uh, went back in this clubhouse. And the clubhouse was kind of like a glorified trailer. You know, it, it had been around. The, <laughs> the drainage wasn't very good. And I remember sitting there as a punk kid out of college, 21 years old, and yelling at the top of my lungs. All right, where's the spread? And. The guy that, you know, in the minor leagues, they're, they're, they're fine. You got one guy, he's got about six hats on. He's clipping tickets, selling hot dogs. And I remember there's this guy that kind of was, you know, had all those hats that did a bunch of different things for the team. And he walked in, he heard me say that. He said, he threw a bunch of hot dogs that hadn't been sold that game on the counter. And he said, there's your spread, big ligger. Have at it. And I realized right then and there, okay, this isn't SC anymore. And that's the big thing, I, the difference I see with football and baseball. Is baseball, okay, we go from big university, and now we got to climb up through the minor leagues. You go from a big university and you're a big NFL draft, uh, you're going to the big time right away. So there is a difference, uh, but I think that's what makes – the two sports so much different. There's, there's things in baseball you have to learn, you know, from a hitting standpoint that you, that, that the college game doesn't just prepare you for, you know, there are the exceptions that, that go straight from college to the big leagues. But as you know, Norv, they're so rare. Um, But as a, as a college coach and you did it a long time, I, I, I always wondered this, your relationship with the players, the kids, the college students, the, the student athletes, do you feel on draft day, that draft day in the NFL, it's such a big deal, especially knowing that guys under your tutelage are getting drafted. Do you feel like, 
like you're kind of in the room with them during draft day? And what kind of emotions are you going through when one of your guys uh, is a big pick for the, for the NFL? Well, it, it's, it's incredible. I mean, when, when you've coached those guys uh, and they have an opportunity to continue their career and, you know, and, and it's what you just said, some of them, some of them, you know, it's a given. They're going to be drafted. They're going to be, you know, Ronnie Lodge. They're going to be the in the top ten. They're going to be Marcus Allen. They're, you know, you know, they're going to go. But then you get to those mid rounders and the late rounders. Uh, we, you, you mentioned that 1976 team. I think Dennis Dennis uh, Thurman was a, uh, I, I'm probably off a couple rounds, but I think he was a tenth, a twelfth round pick, and he ends up having a 15 year career with, with the Cowboys. And, and some people remember this name, Rod Martin. He was like a 12th or 14th round pick. And, and he goes to the Raiders and ends up being the MVP in the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, when you're at a place like SC and there's, there's talent all through, um, you know, all through the, the roster, uh, and those guys that when they get drafted, you know, they get drafted ninth, tenth round, and they know, uh, you know, they're they're going in at a different level than those first rounders. But it's still it's still such an exciting time for them. And, you, and that's you know they, they've worked worked hard to get to that point, and uh, you know, want to go make the most of the opportunity. You know, on the other end of it, Brett is is when you're making those calls, and I did it. For a number of years, you're making those calls uh, and and telling someone that you've drafted him, and he's sitting at home, and his whole family's in the living room, and and you tell him, hey, this is Coach Turner from the Washington Redskins or from the San Diego Chargers, and we're taking you in the fourth round, and you hear that roar going in the background, and and the emotion those the young guys have, it, it, it's a it's quite a day for those guys. Your time with the Rams. Georgia Frontieri. Give me a story. <laughs> oh, well, there, there's so many. Uh, you know, she, uh, Coach Robinson, he, he deserves a medal for that one. Just he was so patient and, and handling everything that came up. But, I mean, she was known, she was known for being, not being very punctual and, and you know we're we're dealing with a very functional uh, sport in terms of football and what we demand of the players. Everyone, there was a, you know, you, they always do the the team picture, you know, three or four weeks into the season when they've kind of settled the roster down, and they'll do it at a home game after your Saturday morning. You have a meeting and walk through, and then everyone puts their game jerseys on and no no shoulder pads but jerseys and pants and and get dressed and i think everyone was out there ready to have this picture taken about eleven thirty. and i i don't i don't know what time she got there but it was it was a long time like i mean it was two thirty, three o'clock and you know no one knew exactly what to do and we can't leave and guys were laying around the locker room watching game college games on tv and she finally, they got everyone lined up. They said she was close and she's there and she got there and she gave a big wave. Hi guys. And she didn't get a very good response. And coach Robinson, I, <laughs> he was, <laughs> he could be tied. That was a, that was a rough one. And, and, you know, we're all on edge anyway, we got a game on Sunday, but uh, 
she she was uh there were numerous times where the the plane was a little bit delayed or there was things going on where uh it was it wasn't her her job to be the first one there that's for sure and and i mentioned her because yeah quite eccentric in the stories i've heard but it reminds me of of a similar experience i played for marge shot in, in uh, cincinnati for five years and just some of the stories and you know it was the the dead dog hair and hi honey and and uh we've got some shots eo2 dog hair as she puts her hand in my back pocket and i come out and i reach in the back and there's her dog that had died she took all his hair put it in the little baggies and she'd go oh, around God. and give them to us give them to us for good luck and i'd yeah. say okay and i'll tell you though nor to this day if i got two hits that night i left that dog i left that dog here <laughs> in my pocket for the next night Oh, that's the best. Yeah. Okay, you move on. Uh, 1990, you're moving on. You're headed to the Dallas Cowboys under Jimmy Johnson. And uh, you inherit, I don't know if it was the worst, but it was one of the worst offenses in football. And uh, you got Aikman, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, in 92-93, you guys went back-to-back -back Super Bowls. Uh, had to be an awesome time. Playing for another guy, and that's why I set it up with, who's the most interesting? You're playing for Jerry Jones. You're coaching under Jimmy Johnson, and, and you're coming off of uh, Georgia. So that's four interesting person people I count already, and you didn't mention any, any of them in the opening. Well, the, you know, <laughs> I, I – I mean, John Robinson and Jimmy Johnson probably should be one and two, but but uh, there's there's so many different. I was thinking more along the lines of players, but there's so many people. Uh, you know, I I I was fortunate. I went in there and and uh, you know Troy had gotten hurt. It was in his second year and missed some time. And Emmett had had he he had been a rookie, and Michael Irvin uh, had had been up and down his first three years and he had had a major knee injury and those guys were, were really hungry and obviously very talented. And there were a lot of people that didn't think the offensive line was good enough to be successful, but they, they kind of fit what we had been doing with the Rams. And I think that's why Jimmy Johnson uh, was interested in me and, and ultimately why he hired me because we had been a power running team, but we had thrown the ball extremely well. And he wanted he wanted Troy Aikman to be successful, but his his belief in in being a good football team was you had to be physical and and be able to run the ball and obviously play great defense, which is which was he had done everywhere he had ever coached. Uh, you know they'd been awfully good on defense. So you know we. That first season, we won 11 games, and, and Troy missed the last six. We had Steve Berline, a um, guy I had recruited out of high school. He was our backup quarterback, and he came in and played well. But we set a good foundation, and we uh, grew as an offensive group. And uh, our guys, you know, got a, a good feel of the way we wanted to play the game. And uh, – we got better as that year went on, and we kind of we won a playoff game, went into Chicago and beat them, and it kind of set a foundation for what was going to happen. And I don't think any of us could have predicted we were going to win the Super Bowl the next two years, but 
that team grew and grew big time. And, and Jimmy did a great job with the draft and kept adding players. And uh, we made the trade for Charles Haley, which was a big part of it. And, uh, you know, we, we ended up being a great defense that year. And, you know, Troy played incredible in the playoffs, uh, MVP in the Super Bowl. So it kind of all came together. And, you know, when you have Aikman throwing the ball the way he can, and then Emmett was led the league in rushing, uh, you're going to be a pretty good offensive football team. Yeah, what? how awesome. Back-to-back back and, and uh, kind of, you know, Dallas Cowboys are the Dallas Cowboys, always will be, kind of kind of like the Yankees of, of Major League Baseball. But that, that was kind of a coming-out period for all of you. Jimmy Johnson, uh, Jerry Jones, Norv Turner, uh, Aikman, Emmett, Michael Irvin end up being Hall of Fame players. But that was the, the time that kind of put everybody on the map at once, that great, great Dallas team of those two years. And springboard you to your first opportunity to be the head coach in the NFL. Um, how different is it? going from, from coaching under a head coach to now you're the man. And now you got to sit there every day and you got to answer every question and you're at every press conference. Uh, talk to me about the differences of, of being a coach and now well, head coach. There, there's, yeah, there, there's no question as you become the head coach, you're, you're spread thin. I mean, you're, you're, you know, first of all, you're putting the staff together, uh, you know, you're involved in personnel decisions uh, with the general manager. Uh, you know, you're in constant communication uh, with the owner. Uh, and there's a, there's another guy that could go down as one of the most interesting guys in the history of the NFL. Uh, Jack Kent Cook was the owner who hired me. And, and uh, you know, he was in his late 70s when he hired me. And, uh, and he was still quite a character and, and – uh, you know, his history, I mean, his, his history, he was the owner of the Lakers, sold the Lakers to, you know, buy the Redskins and, and just all the things he accomplished in his, his life are, are pretty incredible. Uh, but unfortunately, in after my third season, he passed away and it was kind of uh, unsettled. You know, the, the, his son was trying to, took over the team and was trying to buy it. And then, uh, it went up for sale and, and he got out bid. Dan Snyder bought the team. And, um, you know, I was in my early forties. Dan was like 32 when he bought the team. And, uh, that was a big transition. And, uh, the good thing was we had a good team. And the first year he owned the team, we won the division and, and same thing, we had a running back, Stephen Davis, who was one of the top rushers in the league, went on to play in Carolina later and, and took them to a Super Bowl. But Brad Johnson, and we were actually second in the league in total offense and second in the league in scoring uh, right behind the, the greatest show on turf, St. Louis. So so we had a good team. Uh, it was just uh, with all the things happening with the ownership and all the different changes, um, it was a it was a tough period uh, for me because it was uh, you know there was no continuity and and it was unsettled. Uh, the the good news was uh, we kept growing as a team. We had a good coaching staff and our and our guys fought through it. 
Yeah, you met, you mentioned Jack Kent Cook died in '97, and and it is it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, you, you come in, here's a man that hired you. He passes away mid midway, kind of through through your tenure there. Daniel Snyder buys the team, but like you said, it, it's different than the guy that hired you. Now he's no longer calling the shots. I, I, I could imagine it being, well, does this guy want me to be be the man or or not? You said you went through some some did did you reach out during those years, your first your your first coaching opportunity? Did you draw on John Robinson or or Jimmy Johnson? Did you did you oh, formulate the way you were gonna yeah, be a head coach? Absolutely. First of all, you draw on them from from being with them every day. I mean, I tell, I tell young coaches now, you know, everyone, you know, you want to learn and, and they, they have different opportunities where you can go to these seminars and everything. And I, and I tell young coaches, you know, every day you go in the office, there's a bunch of guys who've been doing this a long time that you can learn a great deal from. And I, that's why I mentioned Kurt Shermer to, to you, Ernie Zampezi. Uh, I mean, I was with so many good coaches, Ted Tolner, uh, you know, when I went to, to Dallas, Jimmy Johnson, Dave Wanstead was there. Uh, we had Hudson Howe. We, we just had a, a really outstanding group of guys. And, and there's things you learn every day. And, and then, obviously, you're sitting in personnel meetings and listening to different people. And you're, you're taking notes about what they're saying. But you're also taking notes of, you know, if I was in this position, here's the way I'd handle these things. Uh, and then managing the team. I mean, all those things. And the, and the thing I think John Robinson and Jimmy Johnson had going for them, and that's why they were very successful. Uh, they had both been head coaches and head coaches at schools, you know, like USC, where they, I think during Coach Robinson's time there, they probably, they probably, I know they had over 20 number one draft picks. And, and then you think of, Jimmy Johnson being at the University of Miami and the players he dealt with. So you do get a good handle on, on the personnel and personnel that how it translates into the NFL. Uh, so, so all those things, I think you draw on all the time. And then obviously uh, you're, you're a phone call away from having, having conversations with those guys that, uh, you know, you, you grew, I grew up with and, and, and learned from. So, I think you got to use, you know, everything, every, uh, everything that's available to you, you know, to, to go out. Uh, the hardest thing for me was, you know, Dan Snyder was a, was a young man and he had, he had been extremely successful and, uh, he had some ideas that I don't know. They, you know, I, I just think, uh, he wanted to have a big impact on a team that was pretty good already. And we end up going backwards, which, you know, he and I had, had, uh, to say mildly, we had our, our differences of opinion and discussions and he ended up, uh, firing me midway through the 2000 season. And, and, uh, it was more about us struggling to get along than it was about our football team, you know? Yeah, my time playing, uh, you know, my career, I, I got an opportunity to play for a lot of really good skippers, a lot of good managers. And I always thought one day if I ever 
step back on the field and I were ever to manage, I, I think of the thing, how, how would I be? How would Brett Boone be? And, and I would draw a little bit from him and a little bit from him. You know, some of my favorites were Lou Pinella and, and Bruce Bochy were two of my favorites. And I, I'd take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that's how I think I'd formulate my managing personality. But I'm interested on the NFL side. If you had to name three things, what are the three most important things uh, you need to do as an NFL head coach? Well, if you look at the teams, and I always I explain this to people, uh, you know, I guess a couple of thoughts. The, the first one is, you know, the, there's so many examples I talked about, uh, Dan. I, I told you we had we had a good visit when I was out there in the, the spring, but uh, the, these the new owners, you know, they come in, and I've been around three or four of them, and they they want to have an impact, and they want to set up a structure where they're kind of making football decisions that really they shouldn't be making. So uh, that that really is hard to deal with. That's why. Uh, to answer your question now, you know, the head, the, the players, the people in the organization have to look at the head coaches and he's, he's the guy that has the final say. He's the guy who's uh, running the organization and, and knowing that he's getting help from people. And you look at the teams that have most consistently been successful over the last, I mean, I, I go back 20 years, but I think of Coach Johnson uh, it was during the time we were there, the three years I was there with him, it was it was clear to everybody in the organization that he was uh, making the decisions and personality. He was making decisions on the team. He was making decisions uh, regarding who played, who didn't, who got cut. Uh, you look at uh, New England and, and what they do. You look at Baltimore. You look at Seattle with Pete Carroll. Uh, it's clear those guys are the uh, – face of the organization i'll go as you know they were on the other night the 49ers uh with shanahan denver when mike shanahan was there so i think uh from a from a head coaching standpoint having that uh, responsibility and that people understanding that's the deal i think that's that's critical to being successful and then the important thing is and and you've got to hire good people and you've got to give them the freedom to coach. And that's, that's to me, was the number one strength, the thing I appreciate most about, about Jimmy Johnson. Uh, you know, he, he knew what you're doing. He always communicated. We always talked and all that. But, but when, when it came game time and what came, here's, here's what we're doing. I mean, he, he let you do your thing. And he let, you know, on the field, he let coaches coach. And, and it wasn't a deal where, you know, every day after practice, you're going in there and, and you're spending a couple hours. Why'd you do this? Why are we doing this? Why didn't we do that? Uh, he, he had great faith that he had hired good people and uh, he let them coach. And I think uh, uh, that's, how, that's how you get people to perform at their highest level. Moving on to the Redskins, you said they, they, they let you go mid-2000. 2001, offensive coordinator with the Chargers. Then on to the Dolphins in, in 02 and 03, the offensive coordinator. Get your second shot at being a head coach. Uh, 
the Raiders, 0405. And, and I'm noticing a thing. It's North Turner, and, and it was so interesting going through your life and your career because it seems you were never without a job for that long. It's, you know, you went to a lot of different places. You had a lot of different jobs with a lot of different organizations. But it seems, man, North Turner gets let go or fired or, or moving on. It, it, was, it wasn't too long before your phone was ringing and, uh, and somebody wanted you to work for them. So, you know, obviously credit to you for, for what you did, especially on, on the offensive side of the ball as a coordinator. And, and you kind of made your niche in that. But um, yeah. back to the back to the Raiders in 0405, second shot at being a head coach uh, and, and another one of my my uh, interesting men. You're working for Al Davis. <laughs> yeah, it, it uh, you know, I, I can say this. I mean, I went out. I, I was there two years and I fired me and he he told people. I mean, I, we have a lot of the same people in common. He told people after that he probably uh as he, he said, I, you know, I probably rushed into that one. I probably didn't give Norv the, the, the chance he should have. But we, uh, if, if I, you know, you look back at different decisions, uh, that's one I would have uh, passed on and stayed in Miami. That was, a, that was a, you know, a tough deal. They, they had played in the Super Bowl a couple of years before, but most of those guys were gone, and it was a, it was a, a total rebuild, and, and there were a lot of guys there that I didn't think uh, were real good players that Al had drafted, and he wanted them to play. And, and we, you know, I was, I was never uh, uh, disrespectful publicly uh, to anybody, and I never have been and wouldn't be, but he and I had some, some times where, you know, we struggled uh, to see eye to eye and, you know, and I wanted to have his way, and he was used to having his way. And um, I felt, I, you know, if, if I'm the coach, I should be able to play the guys I wanted to play and, and do the things I wanted. So it, it was a struggle. And, and we had the, the one thing I'll say again, I said earlier about another situation. Uh, there were some players there I really appreciated and, and enjoyed being with. And, um, you know, improved as players and end up having really good careers. Um, you know, some, a few of them are actually in coaching now and I, I still get a chance to see them. So that part of it I enjoyed uh, was, I grew up in the Bay area. It was, it was an opportunity for me to get back home. Uh, so that part of it was good, but, uh, you know, it was never a situation where you felt you were you had a chance to go win and be successful, and and that's hard. That's hard on everybody, coaches, everybody. You know, we we drafted a, a Robert Gallery in the second or third pick in the draft, and and we could have we could have had uh, Larry Fitzgerald, we could have had Ben Roethlisberger, we could have had uh, Philip Rivers. Uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, we're sitting there going and we took a tackle and, and you got a, a bunch of really, really talented players. Guys, unfortunately, they're still playing. That was, that was all the way back in, uh, 2004. So, you know, you go into a meeting when we're doing this and you go in and talk to your coaches and say, what, we're not taking a quarterback. We're not taking this, you know, you know how that goes. And, and, yeah. uh, those times are tough. 
you know, and it's so interesting. Once again, the, how, how, how different it is, the NFL, because the NFL is now. You know, you know you're drafting a quarterback. He's going to be on your sidelines next year for the most part, unless he's first pick. He might be your starter. Uh, whereas yeah. in baseball, you don't know, you know, and you're not as in tune. You're always working at the big league and the pro level. Uh, so that's for the scouts and that's for, you know, a completely different wing of the organization to draft. So uh, like a major league manager, he's not going to really know. You're going to hear about those real top, top guys coming out of college. But for the most part, uh, the, the big league skippers are kind of oblivious to the, to the talent coming. So you don't necessarily need, oh, we need a shortstop. No, because when we draft a high school shortstop, that's five years away. So yeah. it, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's really interesting how different it really is. And I want to get to that as you go. 2006, your offensive coordinator with the 49ers one year. And then you get another shot, head coach with the Chargers. Now, you mentioned earlier, if, if you know, Hindsight were twenty, you know. Hindsight were twenty twenty. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have taken that Raiders job. You would have stayed in in Miami. When making this next decision to go to the Chargers in two thousand seven, did you reflect back? Go, all right, next time I, if this opportunity presents itself, I, I'm going to think it through a little bit more. Just experience going through your coaching career. No question. And I the the good the the best thing about the Chargers situation was they were a really good football team. And I had coached there in 2001, so I knew all the people, uh, the owner, the general manager, the, the cap guy. I knew the people and, and what they were all about. Uh, they had worked with them for a year. Uh, obviously, you said it. One of the reasons they hired me because they knew me and they knew uh, what I could bring to the, to the football team and the organization. And, um, you know, we... That was uh, that. That was uh, obviously the first three years we won the division and and had great teams. Uh, in 2010, was first in the league in total offense. Uh, I think we won. You know, we won 60 games there in in the six-year period. Uh, went to play. You know, won three playoff games. They hadn't won a playoff game in I think it was 17 years. Uh, it might have been 14, uh, but when I got there, they had had long drought, had not won a playoff game. And, you know, that first year we, we had the great win in Indianapolis where we beat Peyton Manning and, and came from behind three times in the game to win the game. And, uh, you know, unfortunately we, we suffered some tough injuries doing it and, and went to New England pretty hobbled and played them in about 10, 10 degrees below zero and and uh you know lost in a close game but uh the 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 sandale experience you know it, it was a great experience and you know we had obviously lt but but like developing a guy like darren Sproles and watching him grow um he was in his second year when i got there and and uh you know philip was had started one year when i got there and he ends up you know, really over that six year period, we were together, uh, just doing some amazing things. So, you know, that we had, we had a great, uh, time with that team and, uh, um, it was a great experience. NFL, tell me how big of a deal it is. Cold weather, warm weather franchise, like you said, chargers, obviously you're in San Diego, uh, weather couldn't yeah. be better. You go to somewhere like green Bay, it's always a, you know, you're always at a disadvantage when you go on the road in the NFL, 
and because and, I don't think the contrast is that big in Major League Baseball. If we start off in Detroit uh, at the beginning of the year and it's and it's freezing cold, well, those Detroit guys are just as cold as us. We're used to playing in warm weather. Baseball is a warm weather sport. So there's no real yeah. advantage or disadvantage. Football different. Cold weather sport. Is there that big of an advantage for a warm weather team or a dome team going to a Green Bay in, in, the, in the heart of winter? How big of an advantage is it for that home team? I think it, it comes down, it has to do with the team as, as much as anything. But you remember uh, back when Tampa with Tony Dungy and, and they, they had really good teams. But uh, when they went into the cold weather, I mean, they, they had a streak of they 13 straight losses or something when they played under 20 degrees going into Chicago, going into Green Bay. Uh, they struggled. Uh you know, uh, New Orleans has, has done well, but they've been in a dome when they go up into the cold weather, that's always an issue. And it was, you know, with Drew, it was a little bit of an issue. Uh, our team, our team played well in cold weather and, and we were a, a fast group, fast team. So our guys played good on AstroTurf and a lot of these cold weather places have the field turf or AstroTurf. So we had some some really big wins. Uh, what we're talking about, uh, I know we went in and, and beat the Giants in, in 2009, and uh, in, in the weather, and we we had some some nice wins. Now you know you when you're playing a good team on the road and it's it's bad weather, uh, you know that that kind of you know a lot depends on the team you're playing. So that that affects some too, but. There's no question, uh, um, Phil Sims, when we were with the Rams, we were playing the Giants, and he came out, and it was December. And Jim Everett was our quarterback, and he was he threw, he went back-to-back years throwing for 4,000 yards. And I remember Phil saying to me, no wonder you guys throw for 4,000 yards every year. Look at this weather. They, you know, in, in New York right now, it's, 15 degrees and a 20 mile an hour wind. You're not going to be throwing the ball for, you know, 300 yards in a game. And so it's still, it's still a factor. Uh, you know, the, the way people throw the ball short so much now, I think that's, that helps some teams, but I think, I think the weather, uh, you know, you get in the playoffs. I think it's, uh, it's a factor. Get your hundredth win in 2001. And after 12, you go to the, the Cleveland Browns, then on to the Vikings uh, Panthers in 18 and 19. Now and, you're getting uh, into the, the reasons uh, my wife was ready to, for us to retire. We we were fortunate early and, and spent a lot of time in L.A. And, and, you know, we had a run of seven years in Washington and, and six years in San Diego. You start going those deals where it's two years here and then one year here. Yeah. It's, uh, and... and I was getting the point, you know, from an age standpoint and everything. It, it's uh, it was part of the thing, but I, you know, we had great experiences, and and you know, the biggest thing about Minnesota and Carolina, I was I, I had the opportunity to work with my son and and Scott, coach the quarterbacks, and I was a coordinator, and and we had good staffs, and you know, it was uh, my opportunity to spend time with him and 
I, I, I hope he, I know he was paying attention because I watched them on tape and they do a lot of the things we did and he's putting his own uh, brand on on it and he you know they had a, they had a really good year uh, fought through a lot of adversity last year in Washington but uh, you know end up winning the division and and you know they're a good young team and it's uh, the chance to work with him and share my background with him and watch him grow as a coach and watch him uh, coach the quarterbacks. And, you know, he, he coached Teddy Bridgewater and, and Cam Newton and, and some talented guys and has done a, a real good job with it. So um, now I get to enjoy the, the game uh, through him. That, that's got to be really cool. Actually getting to work with him and just being a proud dad. And, you know, you got your son following your footsteps. I remember growing up, you know, with my dad, shoot, he was still playing when I got to pro ball. He's still, he's still playing baseball, but there was never any pressure on me. I I never felt an ounce of pressure. The game was, you know, it was, it was given to me like, Hey, we hope you like it. And and we hope you, you know, really want to pursue this, but I never felt any pressure. It was just kind of something I always wanted to do. Uh, Your son, Scott, Did, did you see that in him as a dad growing up? Like, did he always kind of want to follow what dad did? And and now it's come to fruition. It's I couldn't imagine how cool that is. All the years I played. And, and now I kind of can, you know, I can get a feel for it. Because my grandfather passed away in 2004. He was a huge part of, of my childhood and my, uh, you know, my early adult life. And, and definitely from a baseball perspective. Uh, you know, he played for 13 years and he was a scout in big league baseball pretty much to the day he died with the Boston Red Sox. And I just remember, you know, he was a proud guy. He, he wouldn't let you know what he was feeling. He, he, he'd hate to give you a compliment, but I knew how proud he was not only of his family, but just that I had made it. And, and I see that emotion. I see that emotion with my dad. Uh, yeah. You know, at the time I, I didn't think it was a big deal like dad. What's a big deal. Yeah. I made it. I was planning on making it. This is what we do. And you know, my brother ended up making it. But now I've got a son that I'm watching play in, in professional baseball, and it is emotional. And it's kind of like, wow, you see him, you, you just want him to do good so bad and, and get to the next level. Uh, it's almost, it's way harder than playing this game. And, and this game is hard enough and, and coaching at the highest level and, and coaching at a high level and be wanted for the next coach. That's tough enough. But when you watch your son do it, I don't know, there's something really rewarding about it. And, and something cool that's kind of bigger than, than ourselves in our own career. There's no question. And, uh, you know, I've got three children and they're all, all three. Uh, the one thing I think they've taken from me, because uh, I saw it every day, is, is uh, uh, work ethic, uh, you know, getting up, getting up. But they during the season, they would see me on, Thursday nights when, when we got home a little earlier, you know, getting up at leaving the house at four thirty-five in the morning, getting home at 11 and, and putting the work in and, and then seeing how, you know, watching and seeing how important it was to me and, and how much you put into it, uh, to give yourself a chance to be successful. And, and, uh, my daughter's, uh, in the entertainment business and she's, uh, a writer and has directed and, and did her own independent film. It's uh, 
uh, called Justine, but it was uh, went and won some awards and some film festivals, that type of thing. So she's got a, a nice career. And uh, just them, the kids seeing that if you're going to be successful, it, it just – it doesn't just happen. You've got to work at it and then you got to be committed to it. And it's got to be an everyday commitment. And, uh, that's what I think people ask me, what do you think Scott's gotten from you? The extras knows. I mean, to me, you know, you get that and you get it from different people and you see it, but, uh, that understanding of it's a, it's a, you know, total, total commitment to, to be, if you're going to be successful. And then the one thing, and I'll bet this is something when, when you think about it, you would say, and that's probably why you had the success you had as a player. Scott grew up around this. I mean, he was coming to practices when he was eight, nine, 10 years old, 12, 14, 16. Uh, he was a student at UNLV. He, he'd fly in for our mini camps at, at the Raiders. Then he came over and spent, you know, a week in training camp. Um, and he was, the, the thing you gain from that, I think you are around the players and you understand the, the traits, the qualities that make the difference and make this guy better than this guy. And he, he was, Scott's always had opinions and been pretty vocal, but he would tell me, you know, this, he'd be in the locker room and hanging out and he wasn't a snitch. He's just, just, you know, just a young guy seeing it. And then we'd be talking about guys, his, uh, he goes, you can't count on this guy. You know, he's, he's, it's, it's, you know, he, they, they have opinions and they see it. And he, and a lot of times he was right, but they do have the ability to, because just like you growing up and being around it every day, you have the ability to evaluate talent. I mean, you know, when you go see a guy who can do it, I mean, you know, I mean, you You've and I were talking about Rodney and you, and you were talking about his baseball ability for a guy that, didn't really practice because he was out playing football. Uh, you saw things in him. Uh, well, that's the way I think Scott is. And that comes from being around guys uh, that can do it and knowing how to measure them, you know, measure guys against each other. It's interesting you say that and, and knowing what to look for. It, I think the best are just naturally, they have that ability to read people. Um, but I, but I worked briefly for the Oakland A's and, and, mostly on the minor league side. I really enjoyed my time getting to develop minor league players and, and get them when they're, you know, they're, they're formable clay and, and you can pass them on. You know, sometimes at the big league level, you're not really teaching. The teaching's over with. They're expected to, to be that finished product. But in the minor leagues, there's a lot of shaping. And, and I loved giving them little tips like, man, I wish I would have sure. had this tip when I was 21 years old. Um, and it was interesting to me, but uh, – getting to my point about your son in baseball they they told me they, they asked me to go out and and uh, evaluate some talent for the draft and this is this is a few years back and i went out to the sec tournament i was talking with some scouts that had done this for a living for 15 20 years very respected in the industry and they said brett what do you think of this guy and, and i was a quick read no 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 and and they started asking me questions who does he remind you of and i'd look at him my first answer was well what does that matter and they said, well, it, it, and they said it matters because if he doesn't remind you of anybody, he's probably not a big ligger. And when I thought about it, yeah. I thought, you know, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it makes yeah. a lot of sense. If I've never seen that 
the way that guy moves on a major league baseball field before, there's probably a reason. And he's probably not a major league baseball player. Let me move on to the next guy. But it's little things like that, that you learn. And like you said, your son growing up, especially not only being your son and being around the game his whole life, but, but just seeing what does work, what doesn't work. They ask me all the time, well, growing up, it must've been a huge advantage for you, Brett. And my answer is, for a lot of years, I didn't really know how to answer it, but I, I finally came with my stock answer. And it's, well, I know one thing. I know it didn't hurt me. <laughs> I don't know how much it helped me, but I know it didn't hurt me. So that's a good one. You can pass that on to Scott. He can use it when he wants to get rid of the media. When, they, when they're asking about, what's it like being around dad? Norv was your dad. Norv was your dad. I'm sure he's got that his whole life. And now he's got a good answer. Didn't hurt. Didn't hurt. All right, an interesting yeah, no, part for me. That's a great uh, answer. We were talking about it the other day when we were talking uh, on the phone, and I told you I got an opportunity uh, to go up and watch the 49ers, uh, my dad and myself, and they had a little scrimmage against the Chargers. It was kind of for me like a, you know, spring training, what I would think spring training of football is. You know, we go through spring training in baseball and we go to the ballpark and there's a we get, you know, we're getting our, our reps and we're taking our ground balls and we're doing our drills. Now the game start, I'm getting two at bats. I'm leaving. You know, I just want to get in, get out. It's really a low key event as spring moves on and you're getting to the end of spring. Uh, you know, you're getting a little more intense. Maybe you're getting three at bats. Maybe you're getting four at bats. Uh, but it's all being ready for when that bell rings. And I was watching the practice the other day. It was really interesting for me sitting on the sidelines uh, because I haven't been to too many of them. And I just thought, wow, what a different, you know, once again, another difference between the NFL and, and Major League Baseball. You go out there and, hey, guys, okay, you know, getting ready for the season, just like to have a little scrimmage. Uh, don't want anybody to get hurt, need to get our reps in. But it's kind of a glorified, hard two-hand touch. And I just was thinking, you know, I saw a couple scuffles, nothing major. But I just thought, yeah. these guys are so big, so fast, so intense. And sometimes they're just, they're moving so fast, they hit a guy a little harder than kind of the, they had worked out before the scrimmage. Like, hey, what's up with that? You hit me a little harder than I expected you to hit me. Well, tough. You know, now alignment gets in and he's pissed. And now there's a little retaliation in a different way. As a head coach going in, getting ready for the season, and you have those scrimmages, how important was it first is I can't get any of my big boys hurt here. And how much it what how many times or, or how often did it become a problem where these little scuffles and fights would break out? It, it, when I first started coaching, uh, we had a couple, uh, I can remember practicing with Tampa and then, then a couple of years later practicing with Miami. And we had some, we had some <laughs> sure They were, I, I, I've come close to calling them a brawl, but, uh, but we, we were real young teams, guys trying to make a name for themselves. And, uh, and we had some guys that probably shouldn't have been there, you know, guys that end up, they're trying so hard to make the team, but they're not, not good enough. And, and, you know, they're doing, they're, they're desperate. And, uh, you know, once, once you establish, get established and not, you saw, um, the, the Chargers and the 49ers, I, I think you got two good staffs. You got uh, uh, veteran players. And, and what's happened now, and, and we've, we've watched it, 
a lot of these teams aren't playing their starters in the preseason. And it used to be, you know, you, you'd play your starters. You had four games. You'd play them a quarter of the first game, a half the second, three quarters in the third, and then very little in the fourth. Well, now, I mean, there's a lot of these quarterbacks that aren't going to take a snap in the preseason. Uh, so teams are using these practices to, to get good quality reps with no tackling so the chance of injury goes way down. But uh, you said it, you know, you got some guy there who's a young guy who's trying to make the team, who's going against a good player and trying to make a good impression, and he hasn't quite figured out or understand how how to practice without putting someone else in jeopardy. And, and that's where you see the skirmishes or a fight or two guys getting into it. Uh, I think the the work that teams do against each other, I think it's really good. But I, I think you see with with teams not playing their guys. I know there's there's a couple of teams that got off to great starts doing it, but I think you see some teams start real slow because they're not playing. They don't get very many reps with their young players in the preseason and. Um, you know, now the season's 17, 17 games long. You know, some teams say, hey, we're going to fight through it the first four games and, and do the best we can, and that's that's going to be our preseason with these guys, and, and we're going to, you know, see how many of them we can win. But, uh, you know, I think that the teams that do the best job in training camp and get off to that fast start, it, it's a big deal. Uh, you, you look at Kansas City, and I know they uh, – play a lot of their guys and and they've gotten off to a great great start uh, you know the whole time that uh, Andy's been there yeah so interesting and probably they're not playing him as much it's the injury factor and and the finances in the game now they're so high I see it in baseball Uh, the injury oh I mean these guys if, if a trainer catches wind that you stubbed a toe it's like, oh, four days out. I, I t- well, I tell my son, I said, listen, unless you're really hurt, <laughs> you might want to get your own training room in your little apartment at home because you don't want to be going on that on that IL if you don't need to go on the IL. Back yeah. even, you know, in the early 2000s, it's like I'd go to my trainer and go, and he'd think, well, you know, we might want to sit out tomorrow. I said, we're not sitting out at all. I'll let you know when we're sitting out. And for the most part, I could win that battle. It's different today. It's different today. And I understand from the owner's standpoint, I understand. Yeah, but the one thing you do is, is, uh, I mean, obviously the the doctors have their say and you got to do it. And and I'm not talking now about concussions. That's a whole different deal. But to me, the best players and the veteran players know the difference and, and, you know, being in pain and being injured and, you know, during a season, you're, you're going to have some, some mornings you get up and you don't feel very good and, and you got a big bruise on your thigh or your ankle sore and, and, you know, you, you find a way to fight through it and, and those guys go play and, and, uh, you know, so I understand exactly what you're saying. It's what, what you said, you know, you, you know, and you have to disclose injuries and you have to be smart about it, but, but guys, uh, you know, it's amazing how the, the, the guys who don't get hurt never get hurt. It's, it's, uh, we were talking about the better athletes, the better players. Uh, you know, I very rarely do you see like a Marcus Allen, a Emmett Smith, 
Uh, very rarely see those guys that are uh, Ronnie Lott. You see him miss time because they know how to they know how to play. Uh, they know how to take care of themselves, and then they do know how to play uh, when they're in pain, but they're not injured. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's really important. You know, because nowadays the day, it seems like it's the day of the injury. And, uh, you know, when they evaluate players, you know, speaking on the MLB side, it's, it's, it's zero through eight is the scale. You know, for, for instance, if, if you're going to talk about a, a, a Mark McGuire, he's going to be an eight power. Uh, I think there should be one more category. There's five categories. I think there should be six and, and it's called the ability to post the ability to be there. And your teammates know this guy's going to be in the lineup, unless something really out of character happens. I can expect this guy to be in the lineup 155 games. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it level, is, it's, it's a skill level, level of availability. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, you don't know how many times I've stood in the meeting and said, guys, the guy, the guys that have careers are the guys that are available. You got to be available. You got to be there. Uh, you know, and and one of the mistakes people make that you know they they I've been involved with it. They take a guy that's questionable coming out of college from an injury standpoint, and I say, well, you know, he's just had bad luck. Well, sometimes it isn't just bad luck. Some guys, you know, some guys, as I said. Uh, can play a long time and never never miss a game. And then there's other guys that you know during a 16 game season they're going to miss three or four games. Yeah, I'd love the the difference. NFL major that we play 162, you play 16. Now you play 17. Uh, but I used to have yeah. arguments all the time in in my days in Seattle with with Hasselback. And he would say, "Oh, Booney, it's way tougher. <laughs> it's way tougher mentally to be a to be an NFL player." I said, "Hasselbeck, you got no clue." I said, "You get the yeah. the crap knocked out of you once a week." I said, "I just get like dinged every single day, and there's nowhere to hide." I said, "There's yeah. nowhere to hide. My swing stinks. I couldn't get a hit to save my life." And guess where I'm going? I'm going to Atlanta, and we got to face Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. And guess what? I'm going to be in the lineup every day, and there's no way for me to get out of the lineup. That's tough, yeah. right there. And uh, right. you know, it was it's fun. To, it's fun to go back and forth, but it's also no. It's so different because NFL, man, that every game is so important for you guys. Whereas we go into a series and our job is to win series. If we win a series, we're going to lose games. If we win a series, we're doing our job. But it's like when you're hot, man, I can't wait to get to the ballpark. I'm whistling on the way to the ballpark. When I'm cold, I've got nowhere to hide. Now, you know, that translates to the NFL game is – Man, when you're the quarterback and you have a great game and you throw for three, four hundred yards and your team wins, you got a week of walking around camp with your with your chest popped out and hey, I'm pretty good, feeling pretty good. You're sleeping well, but then again, yeah. on the other side of the coin is you got your brains beat in, you fumbled, you threw three picks and you lost. You got to walk around for a week and you can't wait to get to that next game to redeem yourself. So I think there's can't wait. Pr- there's yeah, pros right. and cons to both, but they're no, they're and, so di- they're so different, but they're says, so similar. Yeah, my wife always says, "I you know it's hard enough sitting through those 16 games." She says, "I can't imagine if you were a basketball or baseball coach and 
you know, 82 yeah. or 160, you know, just, just that I can't even imagine being a, being a baseball manager's wife or coach's wife, uh, just, but it's what you say. There's a different, there's a different mindset to it. One of the last things, and I, and I was going to touch on it because you were talking about the minor leagues and, and working with players. One of the things I probably miss most about uh, not coaching uh, is, you know, when you, when you bring in a, the draft picks and you bring in these guys, uh, one of the key things in the NFL is player development and taking some of these lower round draft picks, free agents, they may be on your practice squad. They may not be in your plans for the, for a couple of years, but uh, taking them and develop them, develop them and teaching them how the, the nuances of playing a position and playing, playing a sport. And when we were in Minnesota, uh, when I got there, Adam Thielen was, a practice squad receiver. He'd been a free agent and uh, Stefan Diggs was a six round draft pick and he was out of Maryland. And, you know, some people questioned some things about him, but he's, he's, he's one of the great guys, such a, such a great competitor, but we spent two years getting these guys, uh, teach them how to play and, and coaching them and, um, Adam Thielen, the first the first training camp I was with him, he fell down half the time on routes. He'd have a habit of cutting on the the wrong foot if he was going right. He'd cut off his right foot, and I mean we'd give him a hard time, and I'd get on him about it. And and now you look at both those guys, and they're Pro Bowl receivers. And uh, Diggs had the great great year in Buffalo, so that part of it is rewarding, and that's probably the part I'll miss the most of. You know, being involved, you, we talked about it earlier, Michael Irvin, Aikman, Phillip, being involved with these guys and, and helping them develop and become the players they can become. And uh, those those two guys are a great example because uh, they kind of came out of nowhere and and are, are both, you know, they're, they're two of the better receivers in the league. Yeah, you hit it on the head. It is. It, it is rewarding. And it's not that you need credit for it. You know, it's a look, it's a, hey, coach, and, and just they know. Maybe you gave them a little bit of something that, that gave them that extra push that helped them. That is rewarding, and, and that was the cool part for me. And it, and it wasn't necessarily just for the guy that went from A-ball and now is in the All-Star game in the big leagues. It's for that guy in A-ball that, that maybe you helped him a little bit and it got him to double A-ball, you know, by, by saying, hey, try this, try that. Uh, it is. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool thing. And, and I love that part of it. Have a career or have a chance to have a career. Right. A lot of years in this game. Uh, what are you most proud of? Uh, you know, I just think uh, it, it's funny. I was I was at the um, horse races the other day, and there were they had a little charger event, and and there were a couple of guys that played on other teams, and and that were defensive players. And they said, you know, we hated getting ready to play you. Uh, we always knew you had a great plan and you were going to take advantage of our weaknesses and you were going to put your guys in the best position to be successful. So I think, I think the respect, the respect from other players. And then what we just talked about, the, you know, guys, guys that acknowledge, Hey, you helped me, you helped me have a career in the NFL. 
you know, when it comes down to it, it's still about people. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're fortunate when you win a championship. You're fortunate when you have success. But ultimately, uh, you know, as you said, you see a guy and he thanks you or, he, you know, he gives you that, like you said, that nod that, hey, you know, I appreciate you. That, that probably means more to me than anything. And what advice would you give to that 22-year-old Norv Turner coming out of the University of Oregon, if you if you could talk to him right now? Oh, you know, just just don't be in a hurry. Don't be in too big a hurry. You know, all these young guys are in a hurry, and and um, if if I you know I, I was pretty honest about the the Raider decision. Uh, you know, somewhere along, some sometimes along the way, you get a little too anxious, a little too too. You know, things are going to happen, uh, and just you know, make sure you wherever you, wherever you are, do a good job, and uh, uh, you know, let it happen. You don't have to you don't have to rush things and push it too hard. Awesome, North Turner. I appreciate you coming on the Boone Podcast. This was a lot of fun. Uh, it was great getting to meet you recently. I, I really enjoyed hanging out with Nancy, your wife. A lot of fun. We had a good time on this recent trip. For those out you listening, we we were on a, a recent event together where we did a little charity event. Uh, tell Nancy I said hi. And each and Absolutely. every time on the Boone Podcast at the end, we get a question from the fans, and the man to give that is the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy. Come on in, Dan. Gentlemen, how are you both doing? That's been what? great. Uh, uh, Brett told me he was going to do his research, and geez, he did his research. <laughs> well, he's got the time now. He's got the time now. Yeah. <laughs> we, I, both, we both do. Oh, God bless you guys both. I'm working seven jobs at one time, and it's nice to hear you guys just chatting along. This question, Norv, comes from Mike in Baltimore, and he wants to know this. Why do football plays all sound like jibber-jabber, and do players steal signs like they do in baseball? That's, uh, that's interesting. You know, we're, we're getting into uh, some, some interesting discussions there because we, we do know that football went through the, the period uh, in the mid-2005, uh, 6, 7. We know that... Uh, the spy gate and the whole controversy over signals. And the one thing I think the, the league did is they put these uh, mics in, in the linebacker's helmet and in the quarterback's helmet. So there's the communication. There are no signals anymore or very few. So I think they've elim- eliminated that. But uh, uh, it was an issue for a long time. Defensive coaches, uh, I think they did a great job of taking the offensive signals and being able to determine uh, run and pass and uh, those type of things. And now one more follow-up question from me, a Chicago Bears fan. Why do the Bears seem to have so many issues when it comes to quarterbacks? It's, you know, I we could do a whole uh, another show on the whole quarterback thing and evaluating quarterbacks. And um, it, it's... It's tough. I mean, it's tough. And, and you know, sometimes you, you make a bad decision or you make a decision that, that, you know, you're trying hard to get a guy and then it's you have to admit 
you know, you have to be strong enough to admit, hey, we made a mistake and we got to move on. And, and that's a tough deal. I'm, I'm not talking specifically about the Bears. I'm talking about uh, a lot of teams in the league. Uh, and I've been there where you just, you got to move on. And, it, and it's hard for people to do that. But, um, you know, the Bears aren't alone. They're not the only team. Uh, I, I tell people, you know, everyone, everyone's going right now, 32 teams are all going to the Super Bowl. They're all going to playoffs and they all love their quarterback. And, and mid January, you know, the, the, there's only going to be a few teams left standing and there's going to be about 16 teams that, that say, we got to go get a new quarterback. So the bears aren't alone in that situation. Norm Turner, thank you so much for coming on the Brett Boone podcast. We appreciate it, sir. Awesome. I'm looking forward to get out on the golf course with you. <laughs> Thanks, Norv. Mailbag. All right, Booner, you know that sound, don't you? That is mailbag time, Dad. Mail freaking bag, Booner. <laughs> you know my favorite time of this show. Oh, it's so fun. It's so good. Okay, Braden in South Dakota wants to know this. Brett, did you ever play football? Braden, I did. Uh, two years in um, Pop Warner. 110-pound team, 130-pound team. Uh, I was going into my freshman year in high school. I was five foot, about a buck 40. And I decided after that year, uh, football was over for me. So I, I, play, I still played hoops, but, uh, yeah, put the – put the football down and, and uh, a couple years later I, I put the basketball down too so yeah a little bit of football as a kid and Braden as a scouting report I heard he made for a pretty good tight end outside linebackers there you go all right we go back in Austin and Denver Brett what happens on teams that are way out of the wild card spot and will not be going to the playoffs this year do they care about who will go to the postseason um, you got to find some, uh, you got to find a reason to play. And I always did. And, you know, good years, bad years and different. Some years, uh, we were out of the playoff picture at this point. You got to find a reason to play. You got to find something to get up and motivate you every day. It could be spoiling another team's opportunity. So the teams that aren't going to make it this year, uh, if they got a team that's fighting for a playoff spot. It's rewarding knocking their butt out of the playoffs. So you, you got to find something to play for. You play for numbers, uh, you play, you know, you set goals and maybe this year I'm only going to be, can I drive in 90? Okay. Well, that's my goal. I got to, I got to find a reason because it, it is a pretty big blow to you when you realize that there's no chance to go to the postseason. season, uh, makes for a lot less fun. It makes those dog days dog year. So, uh, you got to find a reason and, uh, whatever you can come up with usually works, but spoiling a guy's opportunity, it's pretty rewarding. Well, the one thing that you will never blow is this podcast, Brett, because it just keeps on coming and we love every single one of them. And to that nature, my name is Dan Levy. I'm the technical director and producer of the Boom Podcast. Executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital content is all handled via Liz Landry. Please share the Boom Podcast with neighbors and friends and make sure you subscribe to the Boom Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boom Podcast by leaving a review on on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boom Podcast, I am Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. See ya.